Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But I'm delighted to welcome our first guest to the studio this week. He's had a very distinguished career, beginning uh, by training as a chartered accountant and taking him to some of the uh, world's most well-recognized companies, such as uh, Diageo and Lonro. He was, for a, a lengthy period of time, the chief executive of Wasps Rugby Club, remains on the board there, and has recently taken up his role as chief executive of the Racecourse Association, an association that is uh, set to wield more power in coming years with the new shaping of the British Horse Racing Authority Board, of which he is also a member. It's my pleasure to say a very good morning here on Luck on Sunday to David Armstrong. David, lovely to welcome you to the, to the show, and thank you for coming in on Easter Sunday as well. well thank you very much, Nick, and very, very, very good for you to have me. And you've been in, in situ since February, March? Yeah, so I began at the beginning of February and spent the first month or so sort of working three days a week doing that sort of learning curve piece, getting to know everyone, understand what's going on, and, and populated by the fact that on, on day three, equine flu broke out. So that gave me a little bit of a baptism of fire into the sport very quickly. I bet it did. I, I read that you, you weren't due to start the job until March, but you were so keen, you were such an eager beaver to get behind the desk down in Ascot that you'd actually gone in early and started in February. Did, did you regret that when equine flu came along? Um, no, I didn't regret it. Actually, equine flu, I think, handled very well by the BHA, but gave me an opportunity to meet a lot of people very quickly, probably faster than I might have done otherwise, and get to grips with issues a bit quicker. So in one sense, it helped me in my induction mm. process, and so, no, I didn't regret it. Uh, what did you learn about the sport as a whole through that tricky time? Well, I think I learned that we uh, approach issues or crises like equine flu very, very professionally. I think the way in which the BHA and their team went about addressing the risks, acting decisively, was very encouraging and very positive, and, and it was what was needed at the time. So I definitely learned that we, we know how to deal with a crisis. But you also will have been witness to quite a lot of flack that was flying around and the usual amount of mudslinging between the racecourses and the horsemen and the BHA, who bore quite a bit of the brunt of criticism at the time. Did you think, my word, what have I got myself into here? Actually, no. Uh, I've had the fortune or misfortune sometimes to see other organisations in crisis and understand what it brings out. And of course, it does bring a little bit of extra pressure, a little bit of extra tension on people. And it's how people deal with that that's interesting to watch. So I thought it was uh, important for me to feel and feel part of it. And you said that rugby in itself, which is where you've come from, it, it has quite a complex structure and you have to bring stakeholders together and, and get people to sit around a table and try and be a little bit more diplomatic in the way that they, they deal with each other. Just give me, give me an example of that from your, from your previous career. Well, I think within uh, rugby, for example, the, uh, the challenges of bringing 12 or 13 premiership sides together to, to agree anything is quite difficult. Mm. Uh, not least they are either all typically entrepreneurially owned by successful people in their own right. So these are smart, intelligent people making their own decisions, trying to bring 13 of them into a room to make a choice about an aspect of rule changes or structure of the league or anything else requires a lot of delicate management. Uh, and we were involved in that almost daily throughout that time in rugby. And do you conceive of that as your as your primary skill, if you like, that you're a, you're a good ne negotiator and communicator rather than necessarily your your financial acumen as your as your primary skill? It's a good question. I suppose probably a little bit of both. I think they, the two overlap with each other. A successful negotiation often involves a good commercial understanding in the first place. Mm. But I hope that I can bring some of those skills to, to racing and particularly the, the need to bring parties together and, and work as one. Uh, I've seen already we have a, a tendency potentially to fragment within the sport and I think it's important that we try not to do that and we work together and understand each other's issues 
better than, than perhaps we have done in the past. Uh, your, your sort of opening words, if you like, when you took the job were, were quite interesting and, and you played some, some interesting shots straight away. One of them I was particularly struck by was your assertion that racecourses aren't really making the most of themselves as bits of real estate and as, as commercial entities outside of the, the days they race. How do you think they could do better in that regard? Well, I think I look at the model that we created with WASPs at the RICO, where we had an amazing facility, I admit, and it's, it's very conducive to doing many things with. But we, we held, over the course of a year, roughly 900 events, of which only 16 were rugby matches. Yeah. So that would range from other sporting events, uh, concerts for up to 45,000 people, uh, exhibitions, meetings, for, ranging from four people to 45,000, um, bringing uh, over 1.6 million people a year to the venue. And we worked that on the principle of we wanted every room to be used every single day, built a sales structure to do it. Now, every facility is different. Each race course is different from each other. They're all different from the RICO in their own way. So the plan, there isn't a one-size-fits-all, but the idea of I've got this incredible asset, this race course, this great piece of land and great facilities on it, I want to try and use that every single day yeah. and every hour of every day. And I think we can do more. Some of our race courses do that well. It's not a, it's not a, a criticism of, of, of all courses. I just think there's opportunity for more and more. Who's leading the way on what you've seen so far? Which race courses do you think are I think are really I think there's a variety. Um, I think some of the jockey club courses are run very well in, in that regard. Uh, I had the great fortune to be at Lingfield on Friday for the all-weather finals, and I think Lingfield, with its, with its uh, golf course and, and hotel, is another example of, mm -hmm. of being very well run. So I think they're, they're spread out um, around, the, around the estate. But you would encourage more tracks to think laterally about how they could use their real estate to, to be more commercially successful? I think so. I mean, a, a racing itself, of course, is facing its own financial challenges at the moment, and mm -hmm. one of the ways out of that uh, for a racecourse is to make better use of their assets and to look to bring other revenue streams into it. Now, they're, they're all trying in their own way. It's not as though people aren't trying to do that. I just think there are some examples, perhaps, of some of the things we did uh, with Eureka, community-related projects, for example, that we might be able to bring uh, into the racing world as well. Where do you think the sport should be channeling most of its resources? Even if its resources are limited, what should be their absolute number one priority at the moment, if they've only got so much to spend? Well, that's an interesting question because I think the, uh, there's probably several different answers to it. One of the things that's very important to me is how we create and grow a broader audience for the sport. And by that I mean the race goer, it might be the television viewer, it might be uh, other aspects of the sport, it might be sponsors. We need to create a more attractive, broader-based product that can bring more people into it. And that might be about, therefore, investing in the race day experience. It might be about investing in marketing. It might be about investing in sponsorship to help make all our race courses more uh, self-sufficient. And I think that's important from a race course point of view. Difficult to comment from the wider BHA agenda because there are so many priorities. Uh, and uh, the levy board itself is spending on some very interesting areas on, on the horseman side of the debate as well. So there isn't, I don't think, a single answer to that question. But from a race course point of view, I'm really keen to see how we can grow our audience. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. It's all change in the Luck on Sunday studio here on Easter Sunday. I'm delighted to say that I've been joined not only by our regulars, James Willoughby and Neil Channing, but also for the first time by Director of Racing at Sandown and Kempton, Andrew Cooper. Andrew, great to have you with us. Pleasure. Good to be here, Nick. On the cusp of a very big week. Alongside you, Neil Channing is proving that these are real and is working his way through the so. messiest looking it's bit a of patisserie on the table. Yes, it's fantastic, actually. The quality of grub has gone up a lot since I I was last on this program actually. Fantastic, it's all for you. You're looking quite smart by, by your standards well, today as well. Right. Sweet Fresh to say, I was going to put the shorts on actually because it is <laughs> lovely, isn't it? And it is virtually the summer. But then I checked the racing post and it's all jumps racing this afternoon for some reason. Oh no, we have Southern as well actually. But no, aren't we in the flat season now? The Craven meeting has happened. 
Sorry, that's talking point. No, later, no. I think I think you ra- I think you raise a good point, and it's one a bit that, mad, isn't one it, James like? that I think we should we should put to the director of racing at two Perfect. of our two of our leading Perfect. tracks. I, I, I've got enough on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> Chaps to um, no. I'm glad there's no flat racing at any of my venues today. <laughs> it is a bit of an oddity, though, isn't it? You sort of staged the last big jumps meeting of the of the season on Saturday, the big season finale, the Bet365 yes. season finale, and you have the flat racing on Friday, and then you can concentrate on the flat through the summer at Sandown. Yeah. And, uh, and at Epsom, of course. But it is quite anomalous that on Sundays, when we're talking to David about how you get new people to go racing, families to go racing, you do get an awful lot of jump racing through the summer and not an awful lot of flat turf racing. Yeah, I mean, listen, we, I think, I think as, uh, as race courses, we would accept there are sort of imbalances and odd days within the, within the year as a whole. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I, we, within Jockey Club race courses, we work very hard on our own fixture list, and I'm personally quite comfortable with how the current fixture list at Sandown yeah. Park and Epsom Down sit. But I know I, I think it's a it's a fair point, as is the point about the uh, you know sort of stuttering start to the flat season every year. You know, so it's um, it is difficult, but. I'm sure, as you all know, the, the movement of fixtures or racecourses' willingness to move fixtures around is, is, is limited and often for very, very valid commercial reasons. And you might have been listening to, to David Armstrong. He's obviously got some you know, strong, enthusiastic ideas about how he can bring some pressure to bear on some racecourses to do certain things. He's, gonna, he's, he's got his work cut out because that's the nature of the sport. It's pretty unwieldy. Yes, it, it is, you know, um, but, you know, I think, I think we're all, we all try and be as sensible as we can, you know, I think, and as I say, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I'm very comfortable that the, the, my particular group of racecourses who, who I work for, you know, do try and do things as, as much as we conceivably can for the, for the good of the sport and the yeah. wider good of the sport and to spread our sort of fixtures accordingly whilst obviously as I say um, you know maintaining their commercial attractiveness. Now the, the role of director of racing and, and clerk of the course has changed significantly down the years as, as I'm sure James will will agree <laughs> certainly from your yeah. from your early days as a, as a cub reporter will it? Yeah I was just actually talking to Andrew about my experience with the great Hugo Bevan who is obviously a, a marvellous man and and once I phoned him up for a going report, and he said to me, the going is good. And I said to him, yes, but haven't we had record rainfall? And he, and he, he said to me, good is an excellent opening gambit. <laughs> <laughs> providing, providing with the flexibility to go either way, according, <laughs> according to feedback. There is a bit of truth in they that. Were, they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were, every pun yeah. intended, the good old days, weren't they, they Andrew? Were, yeah. You, yeah. You, now you are scrutinised, aren't you? You, you, ha- it, you? you very rarely get praised for being brilliant as a clerk of the course. No, that's right. But I, 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 I do think, I do think myself and my colleagues as clerks of the course across the country, I'd like to think are as professional and as thorough nowadays as we can be. Because as you say, there is no hiding place. There never really was a hiding place come the race day if you'd got it wrong in your preparation or in your description. But, you know, awareness, social media, everything about the game now, you you really do have to be on your metal all the time. Actually, I was thinking that it must must be probably 20 years since I used to do um, odds compiling and spread betting, and we used to have to come up with the distances. And it was always my task every morning to ring the courses and ask them what the going was. Oh. And uh, quite often they would say, you know, whatever, good to firm or whatever. I said, well, uh, any weather about at all? Uh, yeah, it's absolutely hacking it down. <laughs> and you had to kind of really tease that extra bit of information out of them, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but in those days, you might have had one course and Hugo is mm. a lovely man a tremendous Hugo as an example yeah. there was a time mm. he was covering four races yes he was yeah. 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 four national hunt courses yeah. plus Windsor on the flat yeah. and you know you just couldn't do that now mm. I mean I do too I do um, what about 35 fixtures a year particularly busy during the summer but and the, the you are on call you know 24 hours a day 7 days a week yeah. and, you, and you have to be and you should be and that's, there's no problem with that but the days, and I haven't knows how we used to do the job before mobile phones, mm. because, and I know how we used to do it, you'd, you'd walk the course, come back to the office to a table full of post-it notes, saying, <laughs> could you ring so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. It's a very, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for about 30 years, and it is a very different game now. How thick a skin do you have to have to do your job? Uh, you do have to have quite a thick skin, you do, and I probably haven't got the thickest, actually. I, you know, I might, it might not always show it, but, you know, you, you do feel criticism, um, you try and avoid it, of course you do, but you do need to have thick skin. 
the, the key, now I think there are two, well, there are, several, there are several sort of aspects, I think, to being a successful car car, of course. Honesty, I think, is, is an absolute key one, you know, yeah. in your descriptions of the going. You know, there is no hiding place come a race day. And you, communication is, is an absolute key one, um, particularly in this day and age. You know, you have got to get that up-to-date information out via the various channels we can use yeah. in a timely fashion because the industry expects it, and they do mm. expect it 24 hours a day. Um, you know, and, and attention to detail, I think, is the third thing I'd throw into that mix. You, you just cannot... You cannot get away with things, nor should you be able to get away with things. It's attention to detail because ultimately mm. the buck stops with you on that race day. And that's a safety issue as much as anything else, isn't it? The attention to detail. I, I'm not going to start flinging brickbats around, but there was a, a pretty high-profile race course about three months ago. And um, because the attention to detail hadn't been um, tended to, there was a piece of railing sticking right out into the path of a 20-runner field. Yeah. And... Luckily, the jockeys noticed it and went round it, and you were thinking, "Oh my, that's just a tiny little thing." You can quite easily see how somebody wouldn't have spotted it. No, and that could have happened. Could have killed example, people horses easily. Oh, I've had that. I've had yeah. that at Sandown, where yeah. you know we walked the course and the rails all perfectly yeah. configured and very happy with it. A big field of novice hurdlers went down to the two-mile start one day and nudged the running rail beyond the collecting area and did exactly what you mm. said. Um, yeah. Uh, and in a sense, there's nothing. My, I didn't have any staff in that immediate vicinity to spot it. I couldn't see it from up in the steward's box. So, yeah, it's um, you know, it comes with a. That's the sort of pressure of the. You know, you, you're as thorough as you can, but there are things that ultimately are out of our control. What made you want to do it? Um, well, I. I've never worked in anything other than racing. I mean, I, I studied law, actually, at, at what is now Coventry University. But I grew up on the stud farm where Grundy was born. Really? Yeah, uh, the Overbury stud. And Tim Holland Martin sort of mentored me, who was the owner of the, 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 the stud and the Overbury estate, mentored me a bit through my sort of... Uh, sort of uh, college days. And he very kindly uh, arranged a sort of introductory interview with the, uh, well it was Weatherby's but based mm. in Portman Square within the Jockey Club as I was coming to the end of my law degree and I was fortunate enough from that to be offered a job in the race planning department in Portman Square where I did, I did four years there which was a great grounding mm. yeah. in terms of you know, dealing with programmes, fixtures, yeah. getting to meet all the various sort of clerks of the course, race course managers out there. And from then I went, I went from there, having, having dealt with racecourse managers and clerks of the course, I thought, hmm, I'd quite, like, quite like to move into that field. So I joined what was then United Racecourses as a trainee clerk in 1989 and uh, been doing it ever since. And your, it's your nephew, isn't it, Daniel? Who's yeah, now, my nephew. Who's now picking, up, picking up the baton. He is indeed. He's picking up the stick and the wellies and... Uh, <laughs> He's, he's very good. He's very good. He's uh, done most of his training uh, and based up in the northwest at Haydock Park. Um, but he, he's, he's, he's a good lad. He'll do, he'll do very well. And he's going to do a few days for me at Sandown Park this Brilliant. summer to get some, mm. get some more experience. But uh, he'll do fine. He's incredibly conscientious. I know incredibly. that. And he he led the study into stable staff accommodation, didn't he? Did the big uh, the big project on yes, he on, did on With, staff within within his his training program as a as a as the trainee clerk within Jockey Club Racecourses. He has done a huge amount of research mm. into various areas of the business, uh, welfare issues, stable staff accommodation, tractors. No, he's a. He's, he's very good. His work rate is absolutely incredible. So there will be generations of Coopers to come <laughs> running, running British I don't, th I don't think any of my, th my three boys won't be following me. But uh. you, you were saying that it, yeah, the criticism hurts. Um, Sandown is one of those places where you can get little idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic incidents, particularly recently with the, with the winning post. Mm. Um, do you take that sort of thing personally? Isn't that, isn't that just part and parcel of the, of the place? Uh, it is, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I, would, I would say Sandown Park, from a clerk's point of view, is a far more difficult and challenging course than, mm. than Epsom, just because, fundamentally, because of what we ask of it as a race course. I mean, if it was a flat-only course or a jump-only course, mm. it would actually be very straightforward. But that home straight, you know, you're looking at there, must be about the most used piece of turf in British horse racing. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 we're hurdling up there all winter, we're running... Group 1 Coral Eclipse Uphead in, in July. We ask a hell of a lot. It has one month off a year, which is October. Um, so, you, you know, I think what we ask of Sandown is, 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 quite, a is, lot. is quite a lot. 
but it's good. And I think I think yes, there are there are little sort of things that you you wish you could avoid. You know, the the, the crossover, particularly for jumping. You know, at the bottom of the home straight. Um, you you I wish wish. You know, we can't we can't expand the site outwards anymore. But you, you you know you do wish you had a bit more room in places. So I think, you know, um, we we do the, the very best we can with what is a difficult difficult um, challenging course. Are you ready for your annual bashing that you get on Friday when all the flat trainers gang up on you and tell you that you've put too much water on yeah, for the jumpers? Yeah, I think I probably yeah, that, 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 so It must yeah. be like Crown Top Day like, yeah. every well, year when you, when they all queue up. There's to, no way out, is there? No, what can you do? I think, I think what, what I try and explain to people is we do prepare the flat course uh, for that meeting independently of the hurdle course. So, f we, uh, And the only place they are common ground is the home straight. So, for example, if we are watering the home straight for mm. this particular meeting, which we have been for this year because it's been so dry, we are able to sort of water the... Using boom irrigators, you know, we can, we can water the hurdle course, let's say we can put on 10 millimetres on the hedge side, and on the stand side, on the on the inside where the flat racing should take place, we can put on half that amount or none at all. Mm. So we do, you know, that that criticism I think has I wouldn't say it's hurt a little bit in the past, but it's more mm. I don't think people have quite yeah, understood. Yeah. It's yeah. not fair it, criticism. Yeah. yeah. You know, because we go to great length. The back straight on the flat course is yeah. entirely yeah. Uh, separate for this meeting. The bend is completely separate. So um, yeah, a little bit more sort of. Understanding would, would, would help sometimes. Uh, on the flip side, at Epsom, um, year in, year out, for the most important horse race in the calendar, the race that makes stallions, the race on which uh, generations of racehorses are, are built and bred and produced, it's, it's received wisdom that this, this track is, is beautifully prepared. And I'm not just saying that because you're, you're sitting next to me, but I know that this takes a bit of doing as well, particularly when you get some insects getting in the way and goodness knows what else you can but the beauty of epsom as a race course to prepare is is the uniform nature of its turf and its soil profile mm. um you know you you've got about four or five six inches of beautiful sort of clean loamy topped soil there it's very soon into chalk but it, it's a sort of racetrack that you you can water if you're watering again. You can water evenly. You you know Epsom is a sort of track. You can put five millimeters everywhere. Sandown yeah. is far from that. There's various parts of Sandown you'd never water, and there's parts you you have to throw at just because of the different soil types. Um, but but that's that's nice what you say about Epsom, and I hope that's the case. I mean, I I took over there as Clark as in '96. Um, it's quite a long time. Though, it isn't is it? a long time. Sandown was '94. Uh, Epsom '96. Which came the year after Pennicamp's derby, who picked up an injury at Epsom. And track I just, record time at the time, track wasn't record it? Lamtara. Time with Lamtara. And I just, we just, I felt, and the, the head groundsman I was working with at the time there, a lovely, lovely man, lovely man called Nigel Thornton. We just thought, I just think we need to try and do something a little bit different here yeah. and just try and make sure that the ground for the, the Investec derby itself. It is never quicker than good to firm. We sh we shouldn't allow it to get to to firm as I think it, it ultimately was in Lamtari. I think because, it because of the undulating nature because of the track of the undulate and the yeah. demands of the of of the track and you know p can people connections were sort of saying look we are a bit worried about coming to Epsom because of our fear of not having a horse afterwards. Mm. Um, so you're finding that less now. I hope, fingers, yes, I hope so. I think we've worked hard at it, you know, and I think that's, you know, we, we set out every year in terms of our strategy, in terms of the build-up to the, the ground for the, the Investec Derby Festival, to try and make sure that the ground is no quicker than good to firm for the Investec Derby at 4.30 on that Saturday yeah. afternoon. Which, to achieve that, and I sometimes, we sometimes get some criticism for this, and I, I understand where the criticism comes from. That means, if you're in hot, dry conditions, you need to go into the first race on, on Oaks Day yeah, on at least good, yeah. and possibly, fractionally, on the slower side of yeah. good. Because that, that course there, with, in a breezy, hot day, that will change almost two going points. Yeah, if you had a day like today, that would be, that would be the case. And you race on Wednesday. We race so on Wednesday. Is that challenging you or is it nice to have a consistent forecast uh i, I think it's the forecast for wednesday is for this week is 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 fa fairly settled i think what happens at the end of the week for sundown is a bit more a bit more complicated and unsure uh yeah we've been i mean epsom's in good shape we get the declarations for there tomorrow morning 
the ground we went into the weekend as proper good ground in flat racing terms we've let it dry over the weekend so we'll, we'll by closer play tonight we'll be on the sort of far side of good and i think we've got a you know a decision to make tomorrow morning as to what i think it'll be a question of how much we put on as opposed to do we put on and i think that will be with a view to racing on wednesday on ground on the far side of good James, anyone who was uh, under the uh, misapprehension that all clerks of the course do is wander around with a stick and poke it in a few times uh, need only have listened, had to listen to the last 15 minutes to know that's absolutely not the case. Well, Andrew is, is may I say, I'm not just flattering you, but you are one of the best and the easiest to deal with that we've ever seen. When I first came into the game, clerks provided a great opportunity for the young thrusting generation with their stopwatches and their metric accuracy to, to pick on people and there are certain clerks of the courses who didn't in those areas stand up to that criticism and were, were chippy about it and didn't but I've never I don't ever remember having a bad word with you over in all my time formally on the racing post and I don't know anybody else who does my kind of thing that finds any problem with now I still think that generally speaking we need to tighten up not not your venues but across the board there's room to be done on race distances some clerks still don't seem to realise we need to know the distance of the race to the yard, to the metre, and not just like approximately to the next... But, but for the most part, things have improved massively during your tenure, and I think you've been a, a big player in all that yeah. by raising standards. Well, there you are. I think, that's I, a, that's, I think most people yeah. who, who do my kind of thing would not find any problem with no. what I've just said and would no. not think I'm flattering Andrew just because he's here. It, it's true. Absolutely. And you've also been well, easy to deal with as well. But... I, th I think that um, we're talking of the derby. I think people take things for granted. I suppose as being a clerk is if you don't get criticism, you've got to kind of think that's what praises for other people, haven't you? And the derby. I do remember trainers. You know, when I was first saying what you just said that, that you know you'd never have a horse left afterwards. But the derby form has generally worked out better and better and better as a result of the fact that the surface is quick and true, considering the undulations of the course. But it's fair. It doesn't it doesn't smash horses to pieces. And look at the latest one. And you know the old, uh, the plank of wood at the, the, the being the, the ultimate test of the thoroughbred. We, we had that even the, the most recent derby, didn't we? We had probably the best horse of the season, Roaring Lion, defeated because he did not get home, and was beaten by a horse. I think he's massage is probably a, a few pounds inferior to him, but got the trip better, and uh, that's what makes the race so marvellous, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that was the highest-rated yeah. race, three-year-old race in mm. the world last year. Yeah, I I think Roaring Lion was, you know was a good example of how that course can expose stamina even in a very very good course. But the big news this week, it, it was news that didn't really come as a surprise in the end, was that too darn hot, the horse we'd all been talking about through the winter, would not take up his engagement in the 2000 guineas. Not a huge surprise, but nonetheless, James, a massive disappointment. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, Dubawi is out with, now both his representatives are out of the race. And um, what intrigues me about this particular story is with John Goldston, there's always an opportunity to read between the lines whenever you read what... And this mention of increasing frequency of the mention of the Dante mm. stakes is really intriguing me, Andrew, with regard to the derby. Mm. I think, personally, and this is my only my opinion, it's not news, I think that connections are changing course with this horse, and I think he's going to run in the derby. I think that's going to be their target. That's my, my, my guess. Of course, it was pedigree, yes, yeah. to the derby last year, wasn't it? Manner of performance, no. Looked more like a fast miler. Stride length. Stride length? Definitely no. He's got the stride length of a miler. Yeah. Shorter stride than the average derby horse. But he's got a, a stamina-laden pedigree on, on the yeah. damn side. He's, he's bred to stay the derby trip. And if the guineas has come too soon and he's had this little injury, if he can get him to the dante, suddenly he makes your race very interesting. Indeed, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he started off over a mile, didn't he? He did, well, yeah. On sort of rain-softened ground did. at... At Sandown, and then came, then came back, didn't he? It was, it was, it was. Uh... Yeah, I think he might have fooled people because the Dewhurst obviously is quite a quick twitch horse, isn't he? Mm. We know that from his stride length, because obviously if you've got a short stride and you're elite, that must mean you're taking a lot off them. And um, but I think that if you watch the, I watched the, the Dewhurst again. You can interpret that as the fact that he hit the line. He was basically just in hand again, wasn't he? He was mm. rolling in Frankie de Torre's hands by the line. I mean, he would, he looked like mm. a. A horse, if you had only seen the last 100 yards and looked at his pedigree, you'd said, yeah, there we go, he got away with it, you know, but he's, he's going to be a, um, a um, 10 furlong, 12 furlong horse next year. And the previous Dewhurst winner to cut back from a mile, Neil, was... Oh, God, no, you, you've got to, me there. It's quite cut, well known. To cut back from... Uh, cut back from a mile to win the Dewhurst. Uh, quite well known. 
Oh, Frankel. That's the one. <laughs> you got there. He was a fair horse. So he you think this will happen? Put him in your tracker, that one. Yeah. But you, don't, you wouldn't necessarily fancy him for the race on what you've seen so far? Uh, I, I would, because I, I am the founding foreman of the, t- <laughs> of the Two Down Hot fan club. I think, he's an, I think he's nearly as good as Frankel. I really do. Really? I really do. I have no doubt about it whatsoever from his data. I think he's a super horse. I really do. And I don't think we've seen the, 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 the start of it yet. And whatever John Garton does will be the right thing. He always comes up smelling of roses. Mm. He's absolutely brilliant at making the right decision. Sometimes it seems to me you don't quite know where it's going I don't know whether... You can't see the working, but you get the right result. That's it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I think sometimes I I wonder myself as an outsider whether it's quite as straightforward as he makes it out to be where and whether the reasons he moves the chess pieces around the board are quite what we're being told. But that's my own subjective bias. But what I am certain about is that there's no one better than him uh, with, the, with the classic thoroughbred. Not, no one close, I don't think. Don't you think, uh, generally on that, that he, he did quite a good job, as he usually does, of keeping everybody informed as to what was going on? And, he's informed and, about yeah. something. It's whether you're informed about... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, like, you know, we kind yeah. of slightly take that for granted with him because, uh, you know, he, he is quite good at coming out and saying, right, OK, this is what's happened, it's not going to run, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we didn't have like five days of watching it drift on Betfair and wondering Spot what on. the hell was yeah. going on. Spot on. But in America, you get also the train on the track, so that the, uh, we can see what they're doing, and that when a trainer says they've missed work, we know that they've missed work, and we know mm. that when the mm. trainers, we have to take all this for granted. And when he says that there isn't time to prepare it for the guineas, mm. we we don't know what that means as, as racing fans. We we don't. We have to just kind of like yeah. fill in the blanks as non-horsemen ourselves and. You see what I mean? It, it, it's difficult to to say that there was anything other than transparency last last week, though, wasn't there, there Neil? I mean, no, there was quite a bit said, of yeah. exactly. There was mm. quite a bit of chuntering no, no, about no, I, about I, the horses' price drifting <clears throat> on the exchanges. But if you listened to John Gosden in his two interviews that mm. he first gave to ITV, and then he fleshed it out with Lydia the next day, um, mm. you, you wouldn't have been wanting to back the horse. Yeah, I think if every all I was basically thinking was if every, if every trainer was like yeah. him, mm. uh, you know, life would be a bit easier, and maybe people totally could agree. have was, a few more anti-post bets with a bit more confidence. Generally, I, I was talking about getting ahead of the market for mm. the next races. I think yeah. there's, a, there's a degree to which flat yeah. trainers are beholden to their owners, and therefore it's incumbent upon us as analysts yeah. to read between <laughs> the lines because they can't. They're not free to tell us every yeah, single yeah, detail yeah, of yeah, the horse's yeah, regime, yeah. and yeah. so we have to. We're left to guess. If there's one trainer who's not beholden to his owners, nor anyone, no matter how powerful or high-profile they are, it is Monsieur André Fabre, has never been knowingly beholden, <laughs> and he may well bring Persian King to the guineas, because the race is opening up for him now. No too darn hot, no quarto. It wasn't the plan to come to the guineas, but this horse, who will run in the Godolphin silks if he runs, because he's been uh, sold by uh, Dayton Investments, the uh, Wildenstein family, he... Um, He's going to have a huge, huge chance it's, if he turns up at Newmarket. By the way, it's, I just noticed this morning there's a bit of weakness on the exchanges on the uh, O'Brien favourite. and uh, Ten this, sovereigns. Yeah, this horse has gone favourite now, the Andre Farber Colt. And should he, should he be favourite on achievement, James? Uh, clo- uh, n- n- close, <laughs> yeah. One of them, yeah. yeah. Not a standout. Um, He's a different type of horse to many French horses in that he's a strong galloping horse. He's not a uh, fleet-footed, no. light um, mover and, and, and a quick twitch horse. He's a, he's a horse they have to force it with because he doesn't quicken for toffee, basically, off his, off his very, very high cruising speed. And so they're going to have to try and do a Frankel in the 2,000 guineas if that's the way they go. They have to try to smash the race to pieces by the furlong pole. Uh, so he adds, from that point of view, he adds a, a tremendous narrative to the race if he does come. Uh, one horse we... Imagine we'll be turning up in the 2000 guineas as the winner of the Craven Stakes, the now unbeaten Scardo. He was 33 to 1 when he won his maiden, and he was sent off second favourite for the Craven Stakes. Held up in rear by James Doyle, the two shades of blue. He's tracking Frankie Dottori, the uh, pink cat, on set piece. Uh, He makes his challenge last, and it is the most potent one. How impressed were you with this? Well, I'll give you the figures. I, I talk in figures. I don't talk in impressions, generally speaking. So a time figure of 108 from time form, 101.4 for the leader sectional. So in other words, the leaders up front were not stopping. Mm-hmm. So they had to run past horses who were, who were actually accelerating off their average speed in the race. And so that's a very meritorious performance. Now, we've well, got a form figure of 112, so you've got to run, run 120 plus to win the guineas. So he's got five or six lengths to find off the bare form. He'll find some of that because of the context of the fact he was trying to catch horses who were accelerating in front of him. 
and also because his trainer is very, very capable indeed. He will have left something to work on, and he will produce this horse better on the big day than he was for the trials day, for sure, because that's what good trainers do. So I think, my, my, in summary, I think he'll go close, but I don't see him as a having a clear-cut chance yet, personally. What do you, what do you fellas think? I think you can pick holes in the form slightly because... Uh, I can't remember the name of the two good old and Colts now, but the, the second favourite of their t- of their two uh, played up with the stalls and didn't really run its race. And uh, the favourite was a bit unlucky, wasn't he, in running? Um, having said that, I, I agree with what you said in terms of uh, you know William Haggis is quite straight beforehand that this is a trial, mm. and therefore I've left plenty of you know to work on. Uh, and yeah, I thought he looked quite promising. I, I, well, I think he's the value in the guineas at the moment, and I, I haven't had an anti-post bet in the 2000 guineas for at least three years, and I don't know why I haven't done this one yet. I think I might do when I get home. Okay, well, don't leave it too long because the trainer's on the line now. Uh, yeah, don't, good, don't good, shock <laughs> the business. <laughs> good morning, William Haggis. Good morning, Nick. But you've got one quite uh, encouraging vote for. For Scardu's chance in the in the guineas. Anyway, first first things first. How is the horse after the Craven? Yeah, he seems absolutely fine. Thank you. Good. I had this morning, and he was good. And you said you were pretty realistic. I thought in the interview afterwards, you you said to Lydia, "I've got a contender," but you weren't going you weren't going crazy about it. You said, "I've got a contender." Having watched the race, I'm sure a good few times since. How do you feel about his chance now? Um, the, the, the same as I did before, Nick. Um, you know, I I, I uh, am well aware that the second and third are not considered guineas types at the moment, um, and uh, he didn't beat them very far. But he came from the back, and he's a very uh, inexperienced horse, and and he impressed me. I, he surprised me and impressed me, and he's clearly he's clearly talented. And he obviously surprised and impressed you the first time he ran as well. Is that because he, he simply doesn't really show himself off to you in the mornings at home? No, he's not, he's, not, he's not bad at all. He's not generous, but he works consistently with a horse called Senza Limity who managed to get himself beaten yesterday at Kempton. And they're pretty similar types. Uh, Senza's a generous horse at home. And so, uh, you know, that, that's, that's solid. Uh, but, uh, you know, six weeks ago, I wouldn't have said it was Guinea stuff. And in your experience, do horses who don't show much at home and then come alive on the race course go on to progress, or do they regress to, to, the, to the innate ability they've been showing you up the gallops? Well, it depends, really. Um, he, he, um, he's obviously, obviously pr- progressed from his first start last year, um, and uh, you know, I, look, I can't fault him. And James said he 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 does handle the track really well, which is a plus, I think, mm. so in an open race. So um, you know, if the ground stays fast, I think he's a Shamadan. I think he likes fast ground. And um, yeah, it's sort of all systems go. Really, I can't not run in a in a race like this. But I'm not going in there saying I'm going to win. Well, he's got an awful lot of the right attributes, that's for sure. And if he, if he takes another step forward, then, as you say, he, he becomes a, a real contender. Uh, William, what news of your, of your brilliant filly, Sea of Class? She's fine, uh, Nick. She spiked a temperature about two weeks ago, um, uh, which uh, we didn't like. Uh, it was down within 24 hours. But a couple of markers on her blood weren't very good, so we had to give her a week off. Uh, which is why we're going to take her out of the Middleton on Tuesday. Uh, but she's essentially fine. She's back in work and she looks great. And uh, we've had a few people come um, over the spring already, come to have a look around the yard, um, tours of various natures. And uh, they all have a look at her and uh, we think she looks uh, in good shape and we think she's improved a bit. We're also rather delighted that the Japanese have decided not to run Armandai. <laughs> yes, Armandai is not going to run in the arc and therefore we assume is not going to come over for the Judmont International, which was being mooted as the, as the, um, as the stepping stone. How, how keen are you that, that she, she, she takes on the best international fillies from around the world 
uh, given the opportunity to do so. You say we're pleased that the, that the Japanese aren't coming. Are you really pleased, or is there a bit of you that actually relishes that type of com uh, competition? I know. I'd love to meet her someday. But uh, I, I was very impressed with her at um, in Dubai at Maidan. But, you know, I'm, I'm very keen to have a crack at the Colts this year. I think we it's a bit softly, softly to go for all the Group 1 races for fillies. I think uh, the other thing I want to do is bring her back in trip because I don't think at any race she ran last year she won because she outgalloped them. Nope. I think she won because she was quicker than them. A bit like Armand I, who, I mean, Sea of Class would have been interesting in that nine furlong race because I think she's quite similar. I think she's got to turn her foot, so... Mm. I really want to go for the Prince of Wales. That's my sort of first one and discussed it with Mrs. Choi some time ago and she's up for it naturally. So um, that's what we'd like to do. But whether we get a run in first will be up to her, really. And then all those big 10, 12 furlong races through the summer, I guess, present themselves after that. How much racing do you think she could take this year if all went fairly well, smoothly? Who knows? But uh, I mean, what's that naturally? Had, is she, is she, would she be robust enough to take a fair bit of racing? Yeah, I think she's tough. I think she's very tough. Um, she's she's an extraordinary animal. It, it, interestingly, when when she goes racing in the in the pre paddock, she dances on the spot all the time, and she never walks around really cool and calm. And when you get get her in to put the saddle on, she stands like a soldier, no shaking, nothing. She just stands there, as if to say, right. I'm on my game now. She's marvellous. I, yeah, I almost detect that you, you get quite emotional when you're talking about her. Well, she's, she, she's nearly human. <laughs> but, you know, we, we haven't had a horse like this before, and uh, the quality of our string is improving over the last sort of probably eight years, and it's really exciting to have something like this. She, she was, what she did last year was phenomenal. It was phenomenal, and in a sense, her most impressive run was was in was in her defeat. In a, in a sense, in, in the arc, and it would be wonderful if we could see the rematch between her and Enable. And it sounds as though the rematch may come at York if you if you if you're going to ten furlongs for in the Judmont. Would that be a possible? That be possible. Who knows? All options are open. But just remember that this time last year, Nick, we yep. got beaten in the Mile Maid, and uh, she came a long way in a short space of time. She surely did, and uh, I can't wait to see her out again. Um, good luck with her. I'm sorry she'll miss the Middleton, but it's going to be worth waiting for when we do see her. And best of luck with Scardu and all the others as you uh, boil up towards Skinny's weekend. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, William. Thanks a lot. Now, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, we're we're going to have some fun with these fillies this year, aren't we? We're excited, aren't we? Yeah. That was good. Yeah, and he clearly, it's, it's a, I mean, to have a horse of that calibre in your yard, and to want, I love the way he was talking, when, you know, want to take on the Colts, want to come back to That's 10. Nice, that boldness is what the game needs, isn't absolutely. it, Andrew? I mean, he's handled her absolutely brilliantly, because she, she wasn't far off running in the Oaks, was she, mm. last year? Um, and I think the soft ground ultimately sort of put pay to that. But I can remember when William came to breakfast with the stars and was weighing up what to what to do with the filly. He, 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 I think he knew, well, he knew what he had, had there and wanted to pr plot the right course for her, which he clearly did through the, through the season brilliantly. And Prince of Wales might well be her, her first target. The Coronation Cup, of course, has been nominated as the likeliest departure point for a Naval season, which must excite you and the team at Epsom hugely. Yes, no, absolutely brilliant. Yes, absolutely brilliant. That sea, of, sea of class isn't entered at the moment in the, in the Coronation Cup. Um, yeah, it'd be great to see a neighbour. I, th I, I see that the Prince of Wales has also been recently mentioned, as it's bound to be, to be honest, yeah. uh, as a perhaps possible starting point for a neighbour, seeing how she progresses. But it would be, yes, it would be, it'd be fantastic to get her back, I have to say. I like the front foot there, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, this is what the game needs, as Andrew says, isn't it? And, and Neil says it, 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 it's what we need. We need that sort of, rather than avoiding competition and just for the cash, taking horse. That's a horse that's gained reputations and that's how we take them to our hearts and... I want to pick up also on what William said there about the racing character. I think that is one of the fundamental themes of flat racing, is the racing character of the horse is made distinct, really, by the fact that horses are right on the edge of their ability in terms of what's required. You know, physically, what horses go through in a top-class flat race is quite close to that which is required to make yeah. them break down. I mean, yeah. the, the, Aiden O'Brien told me many, many years ago about how... The great horses are not that distinct in ability from lesser horses, just horses slightly lesser down, but they'll go through, they'll understand the nature of competition, they'll understand 
how to go through uh, the pain barrier mm. and, and how to explore the dark side of, of, of racing. And that's what makes Group 1 racing so compelling. And if a horse won't do that, it won't be a contender for racers like that. And listening to William there is, is very interesting, isn't it? It's like the horses do seem to... Some horses do seem to connect mm. with what's... They might not know, obviously, in the same way we know cognitively what a, ho what a horse race is composed of, but they understand what the parameters of it yeah. to some extent. Uh, it must... I mean, you heard William Haggis's enthusiasm there, and it must give, um, it must give trainers, however tall their reputation, a huge boost, not only to have horses of that calibre in the yard, but also when the season gets rolling, like yeah. it did this week, to start strongly, to get out of the blocks well yeah. and get good early markers down. That's exactly what Roger Varian did. He had a clutch of runners at the Craven meeting. Nearly every single one of them ran well. He had a bunch of winners as well. The most high profile of the winners uh, is Kabala, who won the, the Nell Gwynn stakes. Again, Neil, this is, it's quite difficult to really get a good handle on exactly what she achieved and exactly what she's capable of. Let me stop you before you ask mm. him. I hate people saying that. We've got loads of yeah. on uh, You only say that because we don't have sex. We can, we can exactly. performances on Ex the head of a well, pin. Exactly. We don't have to say uh, things like that. Well, uh, but yeah, but you and I were working on this, on yeah. this, on this afternoon. We didn't have the data. On the, we, we didn't have now, the data. Though. Carry on. Sorry. So, so, <laughs> so put the meat on the bones. Phrase. I don't like that phrase. People, it's a 1970s phrase there. We've got tons of evidence as to what this is. This, this phrase is not that great the bare form, but her performance is she ran down horses who mm. were accelerating sharply in front of her. She's got to be nearly a 1,000 guineas quality filly to do that. Um, I'd say that she's better than Scardu, but not of Copper Bottom Classic mm -hmm. quality. What, sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Just, I'm, and I wasn't having a go at you. It's looking, all just, good. I hate that phrase. You know some phrase <laughs> I hate? Yeah. Sort of but I think it's right that you pick up on these. You know, yeah. that's what that's what it's, that's it's what like we're, we're supposed to be doing. It's race. Yeah. 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 Oh, I hate that. Don't you want to get? <laughs> you, get a you have to work harder than that to win well, me. Very rarely found one of those. The multi-million <laughs> 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 Are they? People are betting millions on them, and some wise acre goes on the telly and says this isn't a betting race. Can I get the custard pie out? Sorry, you're all right. I'm visually very impressive, and obviously hugely well backed to beat her stable mate, who probably. Uh, you know, the clues were on, you know, there beforehand mm -hmm. that she she might do that. Um, I yeah, I mean, I I I was quite blown away, but uh, those those and from a punting point of view, I tend to then think, mm. okay, everyone saw that. We need to not get too carried away, and and I, I yeah. you know, I th this is not going to provide a good value bet next time for sure. Okay, well, is it, good talk up from James. Slightly less good talk up, talk up no, from I Neil. Mean, she was no, great. Agreed, I, yeah. I was, I, you know, of course. You, how could you not be impressed? She's got a rating of one hundred and four. Mm. She's got, she's got to find twenty, fifteen, twenty mm. pounds to win a guineas. But she could, she could find mm. a large chunk of that. But sorry, oh, I was just going to say, yeah. let, let's yeah. let's add the uh, the next dimension to this by talking to a trainer, Roger Verity, yeah. who's on the line now. Roger, morning. Hi, Nick. How are you? Uh, very well. How are you? Very good, thank you. I bet you are. The horses ran superbly well during the Craven meeting. We discussing the, the claims of Kabbalah for the, for the 1,000 guineas. Um, how brilliant do you think she is? Well, none of us know the answer to that, but she's always looked, um, you know, she's always looked a potential top grader in her homework. We liked her throughout last year, and she took a while to come to herself and didn't run until the autumn, but I thought um, the manner of that victory was, was one of a filly who was one to look forward to through the winter, and you know, she trained nicely into into last week and never know Gwyn had been the plan for some time. And we weren't sure she'd do what she did, but we thought she'd run well. And um, it was very pleasing to see her do what she did. And you trained the second as well, Moju, so you've got a pretty good idea of what it takes to blow by her against the bias of the track, against the bias of the race, and then, and then quick and clear. So what's your assessment of a performance relative to your runner-up? I thought we were in slightly different places going into the race. I was uh, I was almost equally pleased with the second, with Mott Just. I think she yeah. ran a great trial. Um, I was convinced that she would need a run, and I think that she just got a little, probably challenged earlier and um, got a little bit tired, got a second wind up the hill. Um, I thought that was a very pleasing trial as well. Um, Kabbalah hadn't come in her coat. Her work had been very good, but she... You know, she she looked a bit behind in her, her sort of skin condition and her, her general appearance, which would have made the trainer slightly less confident going into the race. But 
you know, it didn't seem to hold her back in the race. I think beforehand, it on paper looked quite a strong renewal of a Nell Gwynn. Mm. I think that, you know, to echo Williams' points he just made about his cult that won the Crave, and I think they're both contenders, they've both got wonderful track form. I think ground is key. I think they're both uh, fast ground fillies, and we'd like it to stay to stay dry for them. Um, you know, and it's likely they'll both both line up. It'd be hard not to. But I think both fillies would have to improve to you know to be winning a guineas. Let's have a word about a couple of the other winners that you had uh, last week. Zabiel Prince won the Earl of Sefton. It, 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 it may it may not have taken a huge amount of winning by the race's own standards, but it looked as though this horse had improved quite significantly. Is that is that feasible, even at the age of six? Well, he's, he's six years old, but I think he's only ran eight or nine times in his life. He's been an incredibly delicate horse to train, um, but he's got very low mileage. There's every chance that you know, his, his best days you know, lie ahead of him, hopefully, this year. It's something we've been keen to do last year. We step him up, but he got hurt after after the lockage, and you know he, we really only got him back for that one run in the Joel Stakes in, in the autumn. So we were confident about him getting the nine furlongs. He's got a remarkable record fresh. I think he's won three times now, for, for, first time up um, of a season. So I thought uh, he was in the condition to run very well. And um, no, I mean equally delighted with him how he how he came away from the field up the hill. Is there an obvious next step for him? Um, well, I think you keep all options open. You know, the mile races and the, you know, and probably up to a mile and a quarter. I think that um, for him to take the next step up in grade over a mile, he probably need um, ground conditions to ease. Mm. I thought that he coped um, perfectly fine with a good-to-firm ground at Newmarket, and I think Michael Prosser and his team did an excellent job of producing safe, fast racing ground. Um, I think if we came back a furlong, I think you'd need possibly good-to-soft ground or even softer to be competitive at the next grade up. I think going up and trip the mile and a quarter, you know, he, he could be exciting. I'm not quite sure where our next port of call would be, but we might enter him and see how the race looks in France at Prix de Lisbahan at the end of May, which of course is nine furlongs as yes. well. Yes, indeed. And, and in the in the same colours, Roger, UAE Jewel was a very impressive winner of the Wood Ditton and was backed was backed accordingly. You don't often get an odds-on shot in the Wood Ditton, um, but we could see why here. How excited are you by UAE Jewel, and where do you think this season could go for him? Yes, um, he's a lovely horse, Nick, and we, you know, you, you can't help but get excited by by a, a colt like him who's won so well first time up. We've we've always liked him. You know, he looked um, full of potential last year in his in his homework. We didn't quite uh, get him on the track in in the autumn as we would have liked to. Um, I thought a mile, you know, either at Newbury or Newmarket would be the perfect spot to start him. Um, but I don't think he'd run a mile again. I would think he'd go a mile and a quarter now. Mm-hmm. Um, a very strong galloping horse would, would get a mile and a quarter well, hopefully. He's, I think he's got a lot of class. I think, I think we've probably all not, not got to get too carried away just yet. He's only the winner of a, a maiden. But, um, no, I think likely he'd come back to Newmarket Guineas weekend for the Newmarket stakes, and then we can see how we fare there and you know go from there. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. I'm delighted to welcome as my special guest this week, a man whose love of horse racing in Great Britain was fostered not only by early views of Channel 4 racing back in the early 2000s, but also a visit to Newmarket's Guineas in 2010. Fast forward a couple of years... He wasn't only sponsoring the race, he was having runners in it and winning Melbourne Cups. It's been an extraordinary journey. There have been some lows as well as highs along the way. But with the success of the European Horse of the Year, Roaring Lion, in 2018, he and his Qatar racing team are now firmly back on top and are much respected as a worldwide leader, not just in racing horses, but also in trying to breed top-class thoroughbreds as well. He is, of course, Sheikh Farhad. 
Althani. Shay Farhad, welcome to Luck on Sunday. Thank you very much, Nick. And thank you for coming in, because I, I don't think you'll mind me saying, this has been a sort of a long project of mine, but I don't think you'll mind me saying that some of us are morning people. <laughs> some of us aren't morning people. True, true, exactly. But uh, no, I'm glad to be here. I know it's be, you've tried to get me here for a bit, but I'm quite happy to be here now. And happy now, particularly, because it seems that your racing and breeding operation with your, with your brothers is moving very much in the direction that you were probably wanting it to be moving in three or four years ago. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. But as you know, in any operation, it takes um, a long time to get to where you want. And we're still, I, I, I view us as infants in the game still. And hopefully we want to be, achieve much more than we have uh, done to, to, to date. But uh, um, last year we had a great year of racing, uh, breeding as well. So hopefully we'll try and improve. Every year we try to find things that we can improve on. Yeah. Whenever there's a fresh injection of, of money into the sport, whenever the sport gets financial impetus, wherever it comes from, people are always inclined to wonder whether the people concerned are here to stay or whether they'll, be, whether they'll be gone tomorrow. I mean, you made it quite clear from an early stage that you were trying to build something. You weren't just trying to throw cash and hope that you'd get some glory back. No, but, uh, but as you know, Nick, it is a hobby sport after all. So uh, there's a lot of people that are fair enough to come in to, you know, as you said, buy, buy a few horses, spend a lot of money, um, either enjoy it or not enjoy it, ha have a winners or don't have winners. We, we didn't view it at, uh, as that because we love horses. We've grown up with horses, right. me and my brothers. And the idea was always to build something for, for the future, hopefully long-term future for our generations to come. So I, I'd like to see my kids to grow up into a... Um, a, a dynasty of uh, of, uh, mm. of breeding operations, of racing operations, that they can take on from there. So I mentioned that you you'd enjoyed watching racing on the on the television when you when you were a student in London. Yes, and you went to Newmarket. True, and loved it. Yeah, no, uh, I, I watched I watched um, I think my early memories uh, racing in the UK was watching Channel Four racing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Cheltenham Festival. And it was um, very different to racing back home. Back home, we only had one racetrack, and it was flat racing, and they go uh, round in a circle. My dad was the leading uh, Arab uh, racehorse, Arab owner uh, in the country, so we, he won everything. <laughs> it seemed like it was that easy to do. <laughs> and then when, when I started watching <laughs> racing here and seeing all the different race courses and uh, national hunt, we, we don't have national hunt back home. So uh, it was very... I was very curious about the whole the, the whole industry and wanted to learn as much as possible from every angle of it. Mm. Yes, I think national hunt racing in Doha they might they might struggle <laughs> they might struggle to even Andrew <laughs> Cooper I think would have a, would would have a struggle You'll with need that. a lot of water. So you it was different, but what was it about what was it about top class flat racing here particularly that started to really pique your interest? I think the quality. Um, as you watch racing uh, around the world, I, I truly believe that the biggest quality is in uh, England in mm -hmm. terms of top class ra racing in England and Ireland, uh, particularly England. As, you, as you've seen, Aiden and uh, the Coolmore operation, all of them target the classics here with their best horses. I think it gives them... Um, uh, it's it's a it's a good for the breed. It shows the best um, best horses to breed onwards, um, and generations on, you'll see that British horses, uh, the, the classics in Britain, always prove to be the best um, source of that. Well, we were talking before the break, and I said to James, I'll I'll ask Sheikh Fahad this very question because you've had Grade One winners around the world. You race horses in the United States in Australia very successfully. I saw you had an important winner in New Zealand. Yes, our first uh, stakes winner in New Zealand uh, was yesterday, which was quite... Uh, and that horse uh, finished second in the Irish Guineas. Mm. We had him when he finished second in the Irish Guineas. He lost his way for a few years, but he's back back as, as best now. So the obvious question is, can British racing, in your eyes, rest on its prestige and reputation alone, or is it going to have to start digging in and getting supporters like you 
paid what they think they should get paid for stakes races. I completely think that it can't. It, it, if, if you think it's going to sustain itself this way, then we have a problem because it won't. It needs to. It needs to um, up its game. It needs to find ways to. Um, attract more people into the sport. At the moment, as uh, we're very uh, grateful that Sheikh Mohammed is in the business, as you've rightly said, the breeze ups without Sheikh Mohammed this year would have been uh, a disaster for a lot of people. Uh, the, the, the thing is that I think British racing needs to find um, more ways to, to attract, uh, attract um, quality. I think quality is very important. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at, uh, that's for instance, Japanese racing, they've got a two-tier system. They've got the JRA and the NRA, which is the JRA is the elite class of uh, racehorses and racing. And if you don't break, I think, your maiden uh, as a three-year-old, uh, that horse is not allowed to run in the JRA anymore. They have to go to down to the uh, NRA level. Why can't that something can be explored that way around in British racing as well? Because we can't be racing, uh, I think you're asking people to race for two grand or three grand or even our big handicaps are, uh, are for 80 grand sometimes uh, or 100 grand when they have Saturday races in Australia worth a minimum of 100,000 per race. And in America, American maidens are worth, what, 100 grand, yes. 80 grand? In New York, yeah. Uh, and California as well. We've got I've got horses in California, in New York, and uh, it's it seems ridiculous if you ju if you're just a if you're taking a business point of view of uh, racing and you open your books, it would be ridiculous to have horses here in comparison to there if you can. But the only reason we're racing here is for the um, quality and prestige that we have at the moment. But I think that can't you can't rest on that. You have to change. So, in essence, even though we know that racing has issues financing itself in this country, you would get around that by distributing the prize money upwards rather than the, rather than the argument that says you have to reward the grassroots first. Yes, but uh, it's, it's, it seems funny enough that uh, winning, a, I think if you take a horse to Newcastle or or Saddle or somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't know the exact figures, I won't, but it's like 2,000 or 1,000 pounds to the winner or something like that sometimes. Uh, if you're traveling a horse all the way up there and back, is that really uh, worth it? Uh, for, the quality, for the quality of the sport, for the generations to come mm -hmm. in racing, uh, I think, w I definitely think that uh, quality is very important and uh, it should be rewarded more personally think because it will help the uh, it will help the sport going forward the generations to come that's my point of view of uh, what needs to happen but how uh, but I, I get the arguments that grassroots grassroots racing is important as well for you know I, I, I understand if you if you're a small owner you need you'd like that is there sh should be should there be two tier systems should there be something that's looked at like the, the way they do it in Japan. Mm -hmm. I know that the Japanese um, uh, prize money is a lot f through their uh, tort system that goes through it, but they do have two systems as well. They have the JRA and the N NRA. Um, I, I can't tell you how to how to what's best to do. We, sp as you know, we sponsor the uh, and when we sponsor, we, s we try and sponsor the big race. Our big day mm -hmm. is the uh, Champions Day, and that's one thing. I, when I came in first, as you know, you you do the Breeders' Cup. I came into British racing, and I, my first question is, what's the end day? And I was told there's nothing to, there's no finale to, like one day of mm. uh, a, a finish of a big celebration of uh, the end of racing. And when the ID came about, I, I think my brothers and I were we jumped on it. And I think, as you've seen, Champions Day has gone gone uh, forward year in, year on year. As sponsors, mm -hmm. rather than as owners, but as sponsors of that day in that series, have you had your money's worth? Uh, yes, in terms of, uh, it's, not, it's not a financial thing, but in terms of... Is it worth it? Had, it's, it's not, yes, it's not, uh, it's not money worth, it's, it's worth for the sport. Mm -hmm. I think we've done something for the sport to go forward that uh, was, uh, was needed. Uh, what's your point of view of Champions Day? I think the day has worked really well. I would like them to use the contingency track if the ground gets really soft. I agree with you. I, per, I think, um, but I think the day has worked very well, and they've done very well upgrading the races. And, they, and because the money's there, 
And because you've put the money in, you see, for example, John Gosson, who now trains your horse, or horses, putting his best horses in, yeah. in these races, and he's led the way, and Sir Michael Stout likewise, and, and it hasn't detracted from the Breeders' and Cup. He's and he's done that before we've had horses with John. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree with you no. more. Where I think there's an issue is with British Champion Series, because I'm not sure the series concept has ever really taken hold, and I'd be interested to know how you see that going forward. I, I think you're absolutely right, really. Uh, for us, our main view is Champions Day. Mm. Uh, the, the series... It was an idea that was started, uh, but I don't think it's really grasped what uh, what they thought it might grasp uh, in terms of, uh, at, at the end of the day, you don't have to qualify. It's not like the all-weather races yeah. where you have to qualify to run on the final day. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's uh, Champions Day is the best horses from around the world that, wants to, that want to run are allowed to run. You don't have to have won a middle series or a sprint series or something like that, like that to, to run on Champions Day. So now the British Champions Series essentially is a promotional tool, really, is it? It's a promotional tool to divert people's attention towards that final day. I'd say so, yeah. And do you think that's the way it'll carry on, or are you looking at ways of trying to enliven people's interest through the year? As you know, I'm, I, I'm we, we try and personally try to, as much as possible, try and get people more involved into racing, whichever way we can. So uh, we try and find um, um, incentives for people to go racing, for people to, uh, to enjoy racing. But I, I think the problem, uh, one, one personal problem is, I think uh, at the moment the people that are in racing uh, have been left out for uh, the idea of uh, perception of outside um, people watching racing. I think we, uh, for, for instance, the, the whip debate that came around, mm -hmm. the, um, a, lot of, a lot of things that you've got to ask people in racing first. Before you're thinking, if you, I think if you do a survey of people that go into the race courses, um, that are regular race course goers, you'd see they're mostly the same people that go race course to the races, rather than new people every time. Why don't you ask them uh, what what they want to see? Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.